Wildcats to the Men's Basketball Hoops Show, uh, Weber State Weekly. I'm your host, Colby Peterson. Want to remind everyone that we are a member of the Big Sky Podcast Network. On the show today, I have the signpost's own Emily Miller. Uh, Emily, thanks for taking some time to chat with Weber State Weekly. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we just had a, a a slew of games this week. I mean, the last time we did the show was right before the SUU game, and so we have not talked men's hoops in four games. So we're going to do our best to kind of get through everything that happened. Wildcats came away with four dubs. I mean, just absolutely stunning, especially looking at the the level of competition that the Wildcats have faced in the last four games. A good win against Southern Utah, another good win against Northern Colorado and Greeley. And then um, I, I think that the win against uh, Eastern Washington on Monday night is also a good win. That, that that team is scrappy. And I and I put that out on Twitter saying, hey, you know, this team is scrappy. Watch this game. It's going to be it's not going to be an easy one. That that record isn't for real. Yeah, I mean, the record for Eastern Washington alone, like you can't count them out no matter where they are or their rank in the big sky. It's one of those teams you just can't count out. Yeah, they got a good culture up there in Chiefs. Whether... So. Whether it's on the road or at home, you just can't count them out. Yeah. So we're going to get into all of that for the, for you with you folks. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, oh, and then we have a game at the end. We're going to play an over under. I've got a few situations for Emily. We're going to see if she's going to take the over or the under on some remaining questions for the remainder of the season. Uh, before we though, before we do that, I want to encourage everybody to subscribe to the show, whether that's on Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, all good places to get Weber state weekly. Uh, and if you would, if you're listening on any of those platforms where you have the ability, I think Spotify and Apple podcast, please rate us, give us five stars, give us a good ranking so that we we can climb in the, in the, uh, the charts, find our way into the ears of more Wildcat fans, wherever they may be, or people that just care about good, uh, good men's basketball or women's basketball. We're gonna have softball starting soon. I mean, I mean, this is, that's, that's a good team over there. We're going to talk about softball in a couple of weeks, but I can't wait, but, um, all good places. So please rate us and, uh, and, uh, subscribe wherever that is. We're on social media. Apple or uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all good places. And then we have the Patreon, patreon.com slash Weber State Weekly. Please go there and consider and consider uh, becoming a patron. Really appreciate all of our patrons thus far. They've helped us kind of grow and pay the bills here and hopefully um, have an opportunity to enhance coverage in the coming weeks. But uh, really appreciate all of our patrons thus far who have supported us. So, okay, Emily. That's all the all the business stuff. Now let's talk about uh, SUU and Northern Colorado. We're going to break this up in chunks. So we're going to say two games, two games. So let's start with that SUU game. Like I said, we, last time we did the show it was right before the SUU game. What we, this was at the time, uh, and I would say still a battle of the Titans um, in in or a clash of the Titans in the Big Sky Conference because Weber State was at the top, SUU was number two. Uh, I think they both only had one loss going into that game, or maybe they had two already. But anyway, SUU was a good team, and we didn't know well, what to expect from them. And the game was going to be in Cedar City, so Weber State started, you know, had a pretty even shooting night from two all night. Shot fifty-one percent in both frames, but it felt like the difference was that the three-pointer really made the difference and helped the Wildcats to build the lead and sort of spread the offense out. Uh, they they shot 50% from three in the second half. I think it's the X factor. I mean, do you feel like it was the X factor just in that game or in general across the season? Because it feels like when the Wildcats are hitting threes, I mean, they are just absolutely tough to beat because they already shoot well from two. Um, I think it's it can always be considered the X factor because it's not just hitting the threes, getting your score to go up. That feeds the crowd. If you're getting everybody involved in the, in the game itself, 
it's always going to, it's always going to help. And if the crowd's eating it up, especially where there are certain games, I mean, every team has a bad shooting game, but there are certain games where our, the, the Wildcats were just getting, the bucket was just getting thrown into the visiting or the ball's just getting thrown in there on the visiting from the visiting teams. And that just is hard to play against. So if you're the one on the other hand of that, and you're making all those threes, the crowd's eating it up, it's always going to be the X factor. Yeah. Cause like you said, I mean, those non-conference games where the, uh, the opposing team just absolutely lit the Wildcats up from three. Uh, it was really, really tough to overcome. Right. I mean, I was at that Utah state game and the Wildcats, I think, had it not had had the Aggies not shot so hotly from three, it would have been a lot closer game. Which is which sounds like a dumb thing to say. Well, it's like well, duh, Colby. Of course they would. It would have been a closer game if they weren't hitting threes. But I think. But you're that, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, but like that's really what it is. Like if if they cool off a little bit and, and regress to the mean a little, uh, that game is a lot closer. But the Wildcats just. I mean, struggled to guard the three and it happened again against BYU. It happened at Washington State up in Pullman. You know, they just absolutely shot the lights out. That was an insane game. And the Wildcats ended up losing by like 34 after being undefeated to that point. So um, definitely an X factor, but it feels like when the Wildcats get going, and I, and I would say in particular Sigu, because it feels like when Sigu's hitting threes, man, like that is such a good sign for the Wildcats. Yeah, Sigu is just the you just want he's just the person you want to hit threes because when if he's on a roll you can't stop him Mm -hmm. he's just gonna make them and i would say like he's a really smooth operator he's a player that he's not one dimensional he's a guy that i mean when he's hitting threes that's really tough to deal with but he also you know he's really good around the rim he's really good in transition and so just just a player that make can make it really difficult on you if you let him get going and uh i i would say in this one i mean he absolutely got it going and 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 it makes a big difference, right? Um, just pulling up the stats right now, looking at Sigu's numbers in this game against uh, SUU, uh, which the Wildcats ended up winning by eight. I mean, Sigu comes in here and scores twenty five points on five of six shooting from three, eight of nine from you know from two. Like that's those are dynamite numbers and five assists, right? So not only is he getting his, he's facilitating. Like it's just that that's, that's probably just one of the him. best games. And that's just him. That's the crazy part because there was other players during SUU who just blew SUU out of the water. Was I don't have the stats up in front of me, but was it Kobe McCune who didn't even miss a single free throw? Uh, or maybe was, just one? He was close. He missed just one. Yeah, he was 8 of 9 from yeah. the free throw line. That's hard to beat. And, and then there's two players right there. And if you can get one of them on a roll, you're, there's usually one in pursuit right behind them. Yeah, and then um, another one right behind them. So Sigu, like we said, 25 points in this one. McEwen right behind him with 21. And then Dante Bassett, 18 points, 3 of 5 from 3, 7 of 11, seven of 11 from 2 um, with 4 rebounds and um, and just absolutely doing his best. They didn't know what to do with him, but I think when Bassett is hitting those threes, I mean, it just really spreads the floor in a way that creates fits for opposing defenses to deal with because he's such a big presence in the post. You know, obviously a great defensive player and, you know, credit to him in that game only uh, he, en- he ended up with just three fouls. Uh, and I think that that's the, one of the biggest things for him is staying out of foul trouble. And Bassett did a pretty good job of that in this game. And so was able to stay on the floor, play 20 minutes, you know, uh, cycling his, his time with Alex Chu who got, you know, just five minutes, but you know, the Wildcats went small, put Dyson Kohler in there getting 11 minutes and Zaire Porter with 12. And so just kind of mixing things up, going small, 
then inserting Dante Bassett back in to play good defense and also be a productive engine on offense, which I think Wildcats have missed that offensive production in the front court for a couple of seasons now. Yeah. And I think the important thing is, is when you're as big of a player as Bassett, you, you just have to anticipate some of those fouls. And if he can avoid those, that's within itself a win. And then just the fact that he's shooting. And I feel like with what he's been able to produce, it's giving the Wildcats overall a lot more confidence, having that extra, that extra person on the court who can, who you can get the ball to. Yeah. And so Emily, I was thinking about this. Uh, obviously we talked about his offensive production in this game against SUU was really a big, uh, an important part of that. But beyond that, do you, which do you think is more valuable to what the Wildcats are doing right now? Do you feel that it's more his offensive production, shooting the three, being able to, you know, being really effective in the post and down low, getting to the free throw line, or do you feel like it's more like his defense? Because when he transferred from Florida, we all knew that defensively he was going to be there, that we knew that, now the Wildcats were going to have a very stingy interior defense with a guy his size and his skill set. And I think that that's there, right? We've talked about the foul trouble and that happens to big players, but uh, he's been really good. I mean, he's gotten a few blocks in the last little while and it feels like he's really kind of coming on, but like defensively, he's really solid in the post, especially when another player comes over to, to double. I mean, he's like the guy that just kind of slows the flow and then somebody like Dylan Jones will come over and get an easy steal or stuff like that. And so which do you think is more valuable to the Wildcats? That offensive piece where, you know, he's scoring 10, 15 points a night or that defense which keeps uh, opposing teams off the boards and having a really difficult time getting shots at the rim? Um, I, it's hard to say because it's a bit of both, really. I mean, we haven't lost the defense with his presence now in the offense in the offense as well. So maybe I would say the offense is more valuable because like you said, when he came to Weaver, we knew the defense was going to be there. Like that was not a concern, but what he's added to the offense really speaks for itself. And I'd have to say that's probably more valuable right now. Yeah. And it's a good call out, right? I mean, because like we said, uh, we've really, the Wildcats have struggled to find good offensive production in the front court for the past couple of seasons. Um, and so to have it now and have a player that is as strong and as imposing as he is in the post players like Dante Bassett in the big sky conference are rare. Um, I think I said it uh, in our group chat, but there are really just two that I can think of in the conference right now. It's Dante Bassett and Jabril Bello, who we'll see on Saturday with Montana state, you know, just an absolute presence in, in the, in the post uh, somebody that is very difficult to guard and very good at getting to the rim because he's just so strong. But also, I mean, Jabril Bello leads the conference and block shots as well. You know, just a, a defensive monster. And so players like those guys are rare in the Big Sky Conference. You don't see him a ton. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. It, and I'm excited for those two on Saturday. Right? Yeah, Montana's gonna, Thursday, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Montana State on Saturday. I mean, that's going to be a really big game. Um because Dante Bassett did not play. Well, both of those games are going to be big because Dante Bassett didn't really play in either of them. So to have him be a part of that, because those are the first two games, the Montana roadie was the first, it was the opening of big sky play for the Wildcats. And, you know, to get the, get the win in the brick against uh, Montana state was big because uh, that's a good team up there. You know, they're sitting right behind the Wildcats right now in the standings, you know, with two losses. And so it's just, it was, it was big to get that, but now to insert Dante Bassett into that lineup and see how that changes things, uh, it's going to be really interesting. 
And um, yeah, you have to remember with Montana, it, you always want to go out of the Montana road trip with two wins, but count your blessings if you're going out of there with one. Like, yeah, a split is a good. Win. Yeah, a split is good, right? Especially with as good as those two squads are right now, and especially as difficult as it is to win in Missoula. I mean, the Grizz are unbeaten in conference play. I think they're unbeaten all season in it at I Dahlberg. believe you're correct. I think I saw that. That is yeah, I think it's it's 12 and 0 now, 11 or 0, 12 and 0, something like that. So Dahlberg has been a Sounds fortress good. for them this season. Um, obviously the Wildcats coming up just short on that last second shot. And so it will be in the back of their minds as they face the Grizz on Thursday night. Uh, but you're right. If you can split on the, the Montana roadie, that's good shape. Take what you can and move on. Um, and dare I say, I'm glad it was Montana state that took the loss. Not I'd rather win against Montana state right now. And we can go ahead and win against Montana on Thursday. Yeah. It'll be nice to see. Um, so talked a little bit about Dante Bassett scoring 18 against SUU, but then had 10 against Northern Colorado. I mean, let's, let's pivot now to this Northern Colorado game because the win against the birds on Monday uh, was, was big. Uh, the Wildcats ended up, you know, staying atop the Big Sky Conference standings. But then another che- another test for them on Thursday night in Greeley against a hot shooting Northern Colorado team that have, you know, right now Northern Colorado has probably the player that's going to win Conference Player of the Year in Dalen Kuntz. Uh, really great, you know, a, a, a talented scorer, but also a really prolific three point shooting uh, player, along with some others on there. And so what I wrote down in the notes is here, the Wildcats got off to a little bit of a slow start. Uh, it felt like they were just tr- trying to settle in against Northern Colorado. I wasn't quite sure how they were going to deal with them. The, the points weren't coming early in the paint, but I felt like Dylan Jones kind of kept the fires burning and he was hitting threes in that first half that kind of, you know, you'd say, well, what do you make like two or three threes Colby? Like that's only nine points in the first half. And it's like, you're right. But they were timely. And I think that like those kinds of things kind of helped keep the ship afloat as the Wildcats figured out what the offense was going to be against Northern Colorado's defense. Um, I was going to ask you, Emily, what you thought of this. Do you think that, um, what after the sec, after the first half, the Wildcats go into the locker room down 10. Um, and it's like, okay, you're down 10 to a good team on their floor. Uh, that's not ideal, but if you can erase that deficit within the first five minutes of the second half, uh, we've got a game and it's just going to be a slug, right? Like let's, let's see what, what can happen. The Wildcats absolutely flipped the script and they ended up going on like a 40 to 12 run in the second half. Like what was the difference for them in that second half that absolutely allowed them to erase a 10 point deficit and then go up 10, 15 points, uh, on top of that. Well, I mean, Going into that game or that three game road trip, those were definitely the games they wanted to win and they knew it wasn't going to be easy, especially two teams on the road. They maybe, I don't know if they just went confident, too confident into the UNC game after um, destroying, not destroying, but uh, beating SUU with that big student section, just chanting at them all night. Mm-hmm. But um I, it's hard to say because I feel like there had to have been something coach Ray said, or like you said, Dylan Jones, he, he was making those sh- shots and maybe it wasn't the shots, but it was the time of the shots, but there was a, a flip that was switched. And I think there, I say there was probably just a whole bunch of things that played into that. Like we all know that teams kind of had some slow starts and maybe that was part of a slow start, slower start than we would have liked. But I mean, we still came out of, we still came out of Greeley with a win. 
Yeah, I mean, because the Wildcats go, I mean, first half, the numbers aren't awful, right? They're shooting 41% from two, 36% from three. Uh, it's it's not the worst thing in the world, right? It's like, okay, those are those are good numbers, you know, and they, and they end up scoring 33 in the first half, but they gave up 43 to the Bears, right? Which is a pretty big number in a college basketball game for a half. Then they flip the script. They say, okay, second half, we're going to come out 17 of 28, you know, 60% from two. They choose seven of 12, go 58.3% from three. Absolutely just rip the nets and just go on this crazy run. Um, 34 points in the paint. I mean, 16 fast break points, you know, steals start to become a factor there. Wildcats end up with 13 steals in this game. Just, it felt like if, if I were to make uh, a sort of synopsis, what I would say is it felt like defense led to offense in that second half where they said, okay, um, We've been in a little bit of foul trouble in the first half. Felt like maybe the refs kind of loosened up on them a little bit because the foul deficit was quite a bit, uh, especially the last five minutes of that first half. Gonna come back out, play some good defense, got some steals, got some turnovers. Then all of a sudden, Northern Colorado's reeling because they're going back and they're getting easy buckets in transition. They're hitting timely shots. They're shooting the three really well now. All of a sudden, your lead is gone and now you're down. And it happens before they can even realize it, right? Like before that five minute mark, you know, before we get to 15 minutes remaining in the, in the first, in the second half, all of a sudden the lead is gone and they don't know what just happened. And so I think that maybe Northern Colorado panicked a little bit and they tried to make some adjustments, but Weaver state just kept their foot on the gas to say, okay, this is working. We're just going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. And, and it totally worked. And like I said, 40 to 12 run in the second half. Well, and like, um, I think it was when Dyson Kohler was on the show, he said they live, they really like those visiting crowds. They, they like to play in front of the visiting crowds. And, you know, what may be the weakness of UNC is that silent crowd is exactly what Weaver State needs to just put on the gas. Yeah. Uh, another thing that really caught my eye in this one was JJ Overton. I feel like JJ Overton has really kind of picked up his game in the last couple. Um, in this one, um, he was a presence, 17 points, four steals. I uh, ended up with, you know, six of 10 shooting. And I'd say almost all of that is right there at the rim. You know, he was slashing to the basket and that slash to the basket gave the Wildcat offense this pressure valve because, you know, if Bassett is backing in or Dylan Jones is backing in and then all of a sudden they come and get doubled. Overton is smart enough to say, okay, you're going to double him in the post. Well, then I'm just going to cut back door. The big man has the vision to see it. Easy assist. Bam. Cause like, I mean, look at looking at some of the assist numbers. That's a thing that stuck out to me. 14 assists in this game, five of those from Kobe McEwen, um, three of them from Dylan Jones, um, two from Dante Bassett, right? Like guys are seeing him cutting, they're finding him and he's getting easy shots at the rim or they're, they're going to foul him. You know, he was four or five from the free throw line. Um, it felt like it feels like JJ Overton is finding his way into his role and is settling in nicely. I mean, do you think we ex- should, do you think we should expect to see that for the remainder of the season that like JJ Overton knows who he is right now and he's playing with a lot of confidence. Things have definitely clicked for JJ Overton. And I think one of the hardest things for any team going against the Wildcats is if Overton can figure out how to slash, it's hard to stop them. Because oh, that yeah. team is, you can like see they're they're all on the same page. They are connected. If if they're having an on night, they're connected. The the ball is going to get to Overton. 
Yeah, because I mean, the thing is, like you said, if if that ends up happening, if he's slashing to the basket, he's either going to get an easy bucket or they're going to foul him. And uh, fouls ended up being uh, a problem for the Bears in the second half uh, because of that change in strategy. And uh, especially, like we said, a lot of transition buckets, which came from good defense. Uh, then you're like, okay, I'm going to try and stop this guy. Oh, and one, dang it, I shouldn't have done that. You know, lots of lots of those kinds of mental mistakes. But uh, yeah, it's nice to see JJ Overton really settle into that role and and realize that like, hey, this is how you can play in this league, and it's really working for him right now. And it looks like he's catching on to each team earlier in the game instead of having that instead of him figuring that late figuring that out later in the game. And that's just only that's just only benefiting the Wildcats. Yeah. Uh, last thought on this before we move on to the other two games. Uh, Wildcats had 13 steals in this one, uh, led by JJ Overton and Sigu. Um, really active hands. I checked the numbers in the conference stat sheet. Weber State currently has four players in the top 10 in steals in the conference. No other school has more than two. I mean, how do teams deal with that kind of defensive onslaught where, you know, we expected John Knight third to have a very active hands against the Wildcats on Monday night. And he did great. But the Wildcats basically have four John Knights out there on a given night and they're all starters, all of them. So what do you do? How do you, how do you defend against a team that creates so many turnovers? I mean, it's hard to say clearly we haven't seen a team that's been able to figure it out. And you're right. It's, what may be one team's one player, we have four of them. And if, how do you, in the moment, you maybe in film, you can try and prepare, prepare for that. But in the moment, what do you do? Yeah, because obviously, you know, those turnovers create fast break opportunities. They create all kinds of havoc. You know, you lose a possession. It's just, it's just a nightmare for it. And the Wildcats ended up with 34 points in the paint in this one, in spite of the hot uh, three-point shooting. And so 34 of their of their 70 or of their 85 points coming in the paint. Just stunning. So big, big road win uh, in Greeley. And so the Wildcats sort of securing a spot right now. Uh, I think I said this on Twitter and some people said, well, there's nine games left and anything can happen. And I'm like, yeah, sure. But like uh, with the Wildcats winning that roadie, um, I think that they've pretty much secured a spot in the top four of the conference. And people say, well, I don't know about that because the Wildcats only have one loss and then the next three teams have two. And so it's like anything could happen. It's like, you're right. Anything could happen. But the Wildcats have now, you know, played all of the tough road games and get to face these teams at home in the Purple Palace. And so I would say advantage Wildcats, um, but remains to be seen. The games they've needed to win are definitely, I mean, we have to see what will happen at the B. We will just have to see. I think this, this week is really going to decide what you're kind of already, what you've already tweeted if they have a top four slot, but the games they've needed to win are definitely road games and they're clearly doing, they've done that. Yeah. And I think now it's, they're going to have to definitely work for it, but I think the visiting teams are going to have to work harder. You're right, because um, this week is absolutely critical with Montana and Montana State coming to town, having already done the Montana roadie. Now, 
the teams from Montana come to Ogden to take on the Wildcats who sit at the top of the conference standings um, and are playing with a lot of confidence right now. You know, I think the win against Eastern Washington on Monday night helped boost that confidence a little bit more. And so Wildcats are kind of peaking and clicking at the right time. You want to be playing your best basketball, you know, going into February and into March, right? That's, that's when you want to be peaking. It feels like that's what the Wildcats are doing right now. Um, and so you're absolutely right, Emily, that like this week is critical because if the Wildcats come away with, with a couple of wins or a split, I mean, that's, that's pretty big. It obviously depends on who the split comes with, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really big. And so, and especially if they come away with two wins, I mean, you just handed two of the teams chasing you in the standings, a couple of L's, and now you've got a two game pad, uh, really interesting situation. Well, so, and you can't, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, finish your thought. Well, you can't forget the Montana schools or at least Montana that won against Weber didn't win against Weber with Bassett and Montana state didn't play with Weber and Bassett. They played with Weber without him. And I think he really has proven to be a force that the Wildcats are definitely taking advantage of. And I think that's really important to think of as well. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about. Uh, so we have two games remaining now. Let's talk about the the final road game of this trip. Um, it's one, two, three, three road games in in a week's time. I mean, that's that's pretty intense. Um, so the Wildcats end up taking on Sac State in Sacramento, uh, and four Wildcats and double figures in this one. Wildcats right out of the gate just jump all over Sac State. And um, Dante Bassett, once again, uh, a fixture in this one. 17 points, uh, three or four shooting from three, six of seven from uh, two. I mean, wow, what a, what, a, what a night from him because they just, they didn't really have the size to deal with him and he had both levels of his game going. Um, and and like, you, like you mentioned, Emily, that's going to be really, really big going into some of these big games at the D in the coming week because he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. There's only one man that I can think of in the conference that can maybe stop him. And he's going to, he's going to see him on Saturday. Exactly. And I think, you know, you never want to count any team out. You never know what's going to happen, but, um, you, you, they definitely did what they had to do going into Sac State. They just had to keep their foot on the gas and not hold back regardless of where Sac State sits in the standings. And they did exactly what they needed to do and they took care of business. I mean, I think I, we really got what we wanted getting the two road wins against Sac or not Sac State, excuse me, uh, SUU and University of Colorado. And maybe Sac State was just the cherry on top to finish that out. Yeah. I mean, cause like you said, you know, SUU and Northern Colorado were the, were the meat and potatoes uh, that those are the games you needed to win Sac State. Um, I think currently like, uh, at ninth, 10th, something like that in the conference, uh, not, not super, super high up in the standing. So a game that you should win and uh, the Wildcats take care of business. Uh, we talked about a little bit about the three Wildcats shot 54%, 12 of 22 from three in this one. And they were led by Dante Bassett and Sigu. And so the question I wrote for you, Emily was at what point do teams have to really start to put together a defensive scheme for Dante Bassett's ability to spread the floor? Because we talked about his effectiveness in the post. I mean, the number is there. He ended up going, uh, six of seven, was it? Yeah. Six of seven in the, you know, from two 
and most of that pretty close to the basket, but then goes out and stretches the floor and goes three of four from three point land. Like if teams are going to beat the Wildcats, how important will it be to scheme for that spreading of the floor? Because it seems like it's killing, it's killing teams. Well, and we could look at size alone. If you want to have a fighting chance against Dante Bassett on a good night with his shooting, you need somebody who can, who can guard him and who, I mean, who can do that? I don't have anybody on top of my, on the top of my head, maybe Montana States. Um, I'll probably butcher his name. Jabril. Jabril, Jabril Bello. Yeah. Like that's like, you've mentioned him. I mean, if he's the force you're reckon with, who can stop him? And that's what I think a lot of teams are going to come up short on. Yeah. I mean, cause what I've noticed with him is like, it's the closeout where they get, where they get, uh, they get caught because they're committed. Cause usually the Wildcats are scoring, you know, good amounts in the paint. So they're defending the paint, but then he kind of, you know, Bassett kind of steps out, leaks out into the, in behind the three point line, the defender realizes it. They get a pass from McEwen or Sigu or Dylan Jones or somebody and it's too late, you know, so they're trying to close out, but there's just not time. And so it's just, it's just a really difficult pick your poison situation and a nice thing for the Wildcats right now. Um, it seems like as the season's proceeded or uh, has proceeded along, it, it was a few solid shooters, but as the season, like you said, they're kind of at their peak right now where you can pretty much get the ball to anybody. And there's a good chance that ball is going to go in. Yeah. And it feels like this team is good at making those adjustments. You know, so we talked about the slow start against Northern Colorado seems like out of the gate, they had a good scheme to deal with what the, um, with what the Wildcats are going to do. Uh, but then there's adjustment, there's changing, you know, obviously it's a chess game pieces moving around and the Wildcats find a way to get it done. Um, I think I wanted to talk about here was Dylan Jones had 13 rebounds and four assists, but no points. He shot, he only shot the ball five times and the Wildcats ended up winning by 20. I mean, how do you deal with that? <laughs> like Dylan Jones didn't get a double double and they still won by 20. Like, ouch. And so I think that um, one of the big things with, with Jones and it shows the depth of this team is that the fact that man, I mean, it could be, it could be, oh, there's Emily. I don't know what happened there. I'm sorry. All good. Uh, I, was just saying, right out. <laughs> I was just saying it sort of speaks to the depth of this team. The fact that Dylan Jones can have 14 rebounds and four assists and have no points only shooting the ball five times. We know he's capable of more. Um, Dylan, Dylan Jones is a double, double machine, uh, but he didn't even need a double, double for them to absolutely demolish them and win by 20. Um, just an absolutely dangerous team. And I, I like it because it feels like there's not a trap game out there for this team. They understand that they need to win. I mean, I was a little bit nervous in that first Idaho state game up at Reed gym in Pocatello where it felt like, Oh, they're tied at halftime. Like, what is this? Like this, this, and then they come out and they say, Nope, we're not, we're not going to do that. And then it, it was just six quarters or we're really not six quarters, but like three halves after that of just dominating basketball on, on the Bengals. And it feels like they've never looked back. Well, going back to Dylan Jones, we were kind of talking about this earlier. He has the ability to realize where maybe his presence isn't needed, but his or where his absence is needed and where his presence is needed. So if he realizes he can he's going to be guarded all night and can't can't get a shot in, he's he can be somewhere else. He can get those assists and he can get those rebounds and 
I mean, he really speaks for himself. They don't call him do it all DJ for nothing. Like he can do it all. Yeah. Like, like you said, so if he's having an off scoring night, that, that's fine. He's got other ways to contribute always with rebounds, always with rebounds. I mean, currently leads the conference in, in, in averages in rebound average for the season. Um, so the Sac State game, I think a foregone conclusion, the Wildcats uh, felt like, of course, the Wildcats are going to win. They took care of business. They win by 20, and then they get to come home that night, uh, which was a nice thing by administration to say, you're not going to sleep in Sacramento. You're going to bring the boys home and let them sleep in their own beds, which was nice. Uh, but then the Eagles came to town. I've been talking about this game on Twitter. Uh, I knew that this game was going to be tough. The Eagles are a tough customer. I mean, they came in with a five and five record and people would look at that and go, now nah, they're five and five. Like, don't be afraid. Like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like, this is a, this is a team that did, does a very good job of sharing the ball and they do a very good job of playing solid defense. I mean, coach Joe Cravens mentioned it a couple of times in the broadcast. So if you were at the purple palace and you didn't hear this in the broadcast because you were there live, uh, the Eagles have not lost by, you know, double digits in many of those games. So yes, they're five and five, but many of those were very close losses. And I mean, and once again, like they take the Wildcats, they really make them sweat and the Wildcats end up, you know, winning just by six points after being up like 15, right? Like they made a, they made a run. I think they had it down to, oh shoot, like two, two or three at one point, Emily. Was that right? Sounds right. I, that does sound right. I was only able to watch, a portion of it, but I did rewatch it. And I think it was, was it the halfway through the second, I think, or was it the first? They, they got real close in the second. Yeah. I mean, the Wildcats ended up, you know, they had like a 15, 16 point lead and then they went on this run and just absolutely raced it and got it down to like three points. And it was like, okay, this one's not over. The Wildcats need to put their foot back on the gas. Cause it felt like they sort of, you know, they said, okay, we're going to play not Start to lose. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, some turnovers happened and kind of created some problems, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the Eagles. I mean, like I said, don't be fooled. This is a really, really scrappy team. Um, one of the things that, um, that really stunned me was how effective they were in the paint. I mean, they just absolutely, I mean, I'll, let me pull the stats right now, but I think that they actually matched the Wildcats, just barely beating them. The Wildcats had 42 points in the paint in this game. The Eagles had 44. And so a team with a lot of length uh, and really, I noticed taking advantage of mismatches in the post. Did you notice that? That like, yeah, they get, they get McEwen or Sigu down low and uh, yeah, the Wildcats, especially at the beginning of the second half, were in a little bit of foul trouble. They had four fouls in four minutes. So bam, 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 you know, on the verge of, you know, being, you know, putting the Eagles in the bonus for the remaining 15 minutes or so of the game, which is not an ideal situation. Uh, and they just took advantage of those mismatches and they kept getting them. And so they just kept using their size. Uh, it was really impressive. I mean, what else did you see that made them just so effective uh, in the paint against the Wildcats? Well, I said this at the start of the show. You like you've even been saying don't don't really acknowledge the five for five or is it five of six now or five of six now? Yeah, but yeah, five six. Don't count them out. I mean, they they'll show you who they are. They clearly did that to the Wildcats, and I think the biggest thing about them is, like you said, during those mismatches, they they see a play, they acknowledge it, and they can make it. They can make it happen, and they're a playmaking team. And Maybe right now things aren't clicking, but if that team can get things to start clicking and get that momentum rolling, they're just as much as a concern for the Wildcats as Montana State or Montana is. It's just 
don't count them out. Yeah, I think that the strength of that team is the fact they had 20 assists in this game. Um, they're a team that just absolutely does a fantastic job of sharing the ball. And they know exactly how to deal with doubles, uh, especially in the post. They're a team that likes to. I mean, they, they shot their fair number of threes. But they're a team that does a really good job of cutting when somebody's down low. I mean, similar to what we talked about with J.J. Overton where they're, uh, they, they're aware of those kinds of situations. They're going to come and be that pressure valve for the offense. And it just leads to a lot of really good uh, ball sharing and handling. And yeah, 20 assists in this game. I think that, that that is their strength right there. And that coupled with their ability to use their length and get those mismatches made for a really, really tough night, especially in that second half for the Wildcats. You know, giving them making, making Wildcat fans sweat a little bit because it was like, Oh shoot, like are we gonna actually lose this game? Because it's getting pretty tight and they've got some pretty serious momentum. Yeah, I mean, they just the way you said it, they made they made Wildcat fans sweat. And I think they they're gonna be preparing for that road game against Eastern Washington and hopefully they can acknowledge what made them sweat and make that road game a whole lot easier than uh they had to deal with at the Purple Palace. Um I wanted to ask you, so the Wildcats started this one off with four straight steals. So like they go to the tip, Ewa wins the tip, and then four straight steals after that. Um, really, really active hands. But then in the second half, like I said, those first four minutes of the second half, bam, 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 four straight fouls. And all of a sudden, they're in, they're in a little bit of foul trouble. They got to play a little bit softer. Um, did you feel like that was like a referee thing? They were just sort of like balancing or kind of correcting, you know, calls that didn't come through in the first half in the second half, or did the Wildcats just get a little bit sloppy on the defensive end? Because I think it, it fundamentally changed the way that the game got played for maybe 10 minutes of game time. I mean, dare I say it's kind of a mix of both. If you, the, the refs are always, and I think this was during UNC as well. If things start to get chippy, the refs aren't going to miss a call. And that's pretty much what happened in the first four minutes, like you said, of the second half. If things even slightly start to fall apart, you're going to get those calls way quicker than if things are, if it's just starting out, of course. And I think, so I'd have to say it's probably a bit of both. Um, Just it's the refs. If the refs just don't want the game to fall apart any further than it is. Yeah. I mean, and it definitely did get chippy there, especially as time went on. I mean, I think it was Dante Bass ended up getting a technical foul, which was really weird. Like JJ Overton got this weird foul where like he had position and he, but he got fouled, but they called the foul on him and then they went and reviewed it. And then they decided that, well, we can't take that foul back because it's already been called. So we're going to call the other guy with a flagrant foul. And so he'll shoot two and the Wildcats will get the ball. It was just a lot of weird stuff like that ended up going on in this one. Um, yeah, and those, and I mean that. Just the second those calls started to happen, like we all know that call on Overton shouldn't have happened. I mean, the second the refs were able to see a replay, it was like, oh well, we like you said, we can't take it back, but I guess we could make it slightly worse for the Eagles. And then was it a double technical on? I don't remember who was with who was also in that little. Do we even call it an altercation with Bassett? <laughs> it like yeah, because it wasn't right. Like there was there was some talking going on, um, but then like the the Eastern Washington coaching staff comes out, and I think that that's where things started like you know get out of hand a little bit. Because like the coaches made it worse. Like the players, it was fine, uh, and so then the refs say okay, double technical. 
Dante Bassett gets one. Casey Jones on the other side gets one. And so uh, really, really weird that they did that. Uh, I don't know yeah. why the coaching staff ran out and decided that they needed to get in the middle of it. Definitely out of pocket. It was, I mean, we're not dealing with like a, a little peewee league over here. Like it's a college division one basketball team. They could have had a little bit of healthy banter, but here we are. The coaching staff is trying to break apart or even get involved in something that wasn't even happening. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it wasn't really even happening. Um, last question for you on this, Emily, and then we'll move on to our game over under uh, McEwen, Sigu and DJ all played basically the entire game. I think that um, McEwen had like a minute of rest. Let me check the numbers here real quick. Yeah. McEwen had a minute of rest. Sigu had a minute of rest and DJ played the entire game. This on the heels of, you know, the third, the fourth game in a week. Um, and now there are two coming on Thursday and Saturday. Uh, is that sustainable? I mean, do you think that that affects, is that going to be a factor as Montana, Montana state come to Ogden this week? Um, I think if you look at those three players, there's no doubt that they put the work in the, they put their work in, in the off season to be able to even, you know, sustain what they're able to do in those 40 minutes, 39 minutes. And I think if they are able, the coaches wouldn't be playing them if they couldn't handle it. So I think if, they're able to play those minutes. I don't think it's going to affect these home games. Those are three solid players who understand their position and their abilities. If they put the work in. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, critical players, uh, of course, in, you know, all and all three starters. And so just uh, an outsized effect on the way that, the the game works and uh, credit to them, you know, nobody really getting into foul trouble, you know, looking at the numbers here, you know, Kobe McEwen got four fouls, Sigu got four fouls and uh, Dylan Jones ended up with, uh, oh, sorry, I, I'm looking at the wrong spot, two fouls for Kobe and Sigu and then two fouls for Dylan Jones. So fouls, not necessarily a factor in that, right? Like if they're able to stay on the floor because they're not getting in foul trouble in spite of, you know, 10 steals, you know, playing some pretty stiff defense, um, causing uh, overall 14 turnovers for the Eagles. Um, So I think you're probably right. Like if you're going, these guys can probably handle it. So let them play. That's probably the case. Right. And uh, I mean, that coaching staff, that coaching staff is a solid group of individuals and you, they clearly know what they're doing. So I, I personally think that if the coaching staff is going to let them play, then there's a reason they're on there for the 40 or 39 minutes. They are. Yeah. All right. So the Wildcats end up getting the dub against Eastern Washington, winning by six, 80, uh, 90 to 84, um, really high scoring game. Um, but uh, really, really entertaining and another big challenge for the Wildcats. A really tough week. Uh, we're still in the middle of it, though. Like we said, the Wildcats will be taking on Montana and Montana State this weekend. And uh, we'll talk about that in upcoming events. So now let's go to our game, uh, Emily, and wrap this show up uh, over under. So I've got a couple. Uh, I don't have a ton of lines. It's got maybe uh, two or three lines here for you really quickly. And I want to kind of get your take. So uh, right now, J.J. Overton is currently tied with Dylan Jones at 1.6 steals per game. Um, I wanted to see if uh, I was going to say he will end the season ahead of DJ at 1.8 steals per game. You taking the over or the under on that 1.8 steals? It's hard to say because I feel like he, we kind of talked about this earlier. He's things are really starting to click for him. So Mm -hmm. it's believable to choose 
over, but at the same time, that's been Dylan Jones for quite some time. So under as well, but I, I I'll go hopeful and say over. Okay. Cause it's also, there's one other assumption baked into that is the fact that Dylan Jones stays the same at 1.6 steals per game. I mean, there are some, some teams coming up that may cough up the ball an awful lot more than others. And so I don't know, that's a tough line. That's a tough line, but I'm with you. I I feel like it's probably going to go up because it feels like, like you said, I, I, I defer to JJ Overton is really hitting a stride right now, understanding what he does well within this team system. And uh, the team as, as a whole is really gelling. And so probably going to take the over. Uh, next up, Weber City has nine games remaining on the schedule. They will win 7.5 of those games. You taking the over last the under? Time, last time I was on the show, I was asked something similar. If they were going to win seven more games or 11 or something. And I have been proven correct. Or I'm on the road to being proven correct. So I'm still going to say over. Taking the over on 7.5. So that means they would, they would win at least eight of the remaining nine games, losing just two or losing just one to, uh, to, to meet Emily's prediction. So we'll see if it can happen. Uh, we'd love to see it. Obviously, the Wildcats in a good position, but some tough opponents on the road ahead. Uh, then finally, last one, Dylan Jones currently leads the conference, averaging 10.6 rebounds a game. He'll end the season at 11.2 rebounds per game. You taking the over or are you going to stick with the under on that one? I can't decide. This one's a hard one. Um, I always like to be hopeful. So I'll just go with over again, three overs. Yeah. I also think I'm going to go with you on the over because Dylan Jones has 16 rebounds in the game against Eastern Washington. He had, I think 14 rebounds in the game against Sac state. The numbers are trending upward, and I think that that's going to pull that average up. It's tough, you know, pulling averages up this late in the season, but I think it can be done. Uh, it's always possible. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's over under. Now let's look at the upcoming schedule. Uh, Thursday, like we said, February 3rd, uh, Wildcats will be taking on the Grizzlies in the Purple Palace. That game will be at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, you can get it on ESPN Plus or 103.1 The Wave. Tickets also available at WeberStateSports.com. This was always a game that I would go to every single year, always in the Purple Palace when the Grizz come to town. Uh, then Saturday, February 5th, Wildcats taking on Montana State at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, ESPN Plus or 103. Actually, I think this game is on KJAZ, uh, if I looked at that properly. Yeah, so the website has this game on KJAZ. Uh, for us that are out of state, uh, I don't know what that means, so we'll see what happens. I think that it will be simulcast, but... Uh, we'll see. But uh, if you're local, the game will be on KJAZ, or you can just go down to the Purple Palace. Tickets available at WeberStateSports.com. Then the following week, uh, so then the Wildcats get some rest, finally, and then they get back to a normal schedule, so long as everything holds. Uh, Thursday, February 10th, they'll be taking the roadie up to uh, Idaho and um, Eastern Washington. So Thursday the 10th at EWU, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, ESPN Plus or 103.1 The Wave. Um, that game is going to be a rematch of what we saw on Monday night. I think it's going to be another tough one. Uh, the Eagles are going to be hungry and they're going to be looking to avenge that loss. Then Saturday, February 12th, uh, Wildcats, uh, finding their way into that beautiful brand new arena that they have up in Moscow, uh, at Idaho, 3 PM mountain standard time, ESPN plus or one Oh three, one, the wave, uh, probably do a little something with our friends at tubs of the club for that one uh, because we've all drooled over that fancy new arena. Uh, it's, it's nice. I mean, you folks are going to see it when, when it's on TV, it's, it's something. 
Okay, Emily, that's the show. Let's wrap it up. Um, email us, weberstateweekly at gmail.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon at weberstateweekly.com uh, slash weberstateweekly to support. And the blog, uh, it's National Signing Day, so we'll probably do something around that. Uh, check out some of these new football recruits. Uh, stole a guy from Utah State today, I, I heard. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And uh, some of these recruits. Anything to add, Emily, before we wrap the show up here? Uh, no, that's it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anything cool happening at the signpost? Anything for folks to watch out for? Uh, you can look forward to a softball enterprise about the season starting tomorrow. Not the season starting tomorrow, the enterprise tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, shout out to Andrea right there. Hey, thank you so much. We really appreciate your support. Miss you all down in, uh, uh, down in, um, in Ogden. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, watch for that on the, on the signpost. Uh, they're going to be putting out that that piece on softball. Uh, it's going to be really good. going to be an exciting season. We're going to be starting up our softball show really soon. Uh, the season is just a couple weeks away or maybe less than a week now, or no, I think it's the 11th. I think it's the 11th. It's yeah. a GCU tournament. Yeah. So season just around the corner. So we'll be starting up our softball show really, really soon. Yeah. I miss you too, Andrea. We miss you a bunch out here in Tennessee. She's the best, but all right, let's wrap up the show. Like we usually do really appreciate you, Emily Miller for coming on the show. We'll say it. Weber state, Weber state. Great. 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 Go Wildcats. Oh, my God.